That was great. Um, so I'm excited about that because it meant you guys invited people to come with you to hear the gospel. So I'm, I'm glad to hear that. And I was really glad to hear uh, so many kids got to hear the Easter message. Um, so as we continue the Year of the Bible uh, series this morning, we're going to be heading back to the Old Testament. Last week, obviously, we were talking about Easter, but we're going to head back to the Old Testament and into the book of Proverbs today. Uh, we've been going continuously straight through the Bible from, from Genesis on, but as I've asked you guys to read sections from Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and so on, each week I've also been asking you to read one chapter of the book of Proverbs. And the reason for that is that Proverbs uh, is a, a book that's best used or best taken in continually throughout the year. So I'm, I'm hoping that you'll could continue to be exposing yourself to Proverbs, exposing yourself to the wisdom literature all year and chewing on slowly what it has to say. Um, and as you've been hopefully reading through the Proverbs, um, you've had a chance to think about and reflect on what it means to live a wise life before God. So that's what I hope would happen. Here's my true confession. Um, as I've been doing my own personal Bible reading throughout this, often the Proverbs reading has sort of fallen to the side. Um, here's my confession. As profound as the Proverbs are, often I read them and I just go, okay, okay, that sounds good. Like, that, that seems good. What am I supposed to have, what experience am I supposed to have as I read the Proverbs? I was in a men's discipleship group a few years ago, and one of the guys in our group, uh, who was an engineer, and I point that out for reasons that will become plain in a moment. Uh, you, you timed your pity laugh wrong. Um, I, he, we were reading the Proverbs together, and he said, uh, Bob, what am I supposed to get out of them? They're so mind-numbingly obvious or completely confusing. I don't know how this is supposed to help my relationship with God. And as a pastor, I felt this need to defend the Proverbs, but I wasn't really sure what to say. And often what he said is how I feel when I read the Proverbs. These seem so obvious. What, what am I supposed to do with them? Well, I hope in today's message um, I can sort of respond to my younger self and, and to my friend. How, why is there value in reading the Proverbs? And there's sort of three things I, I want us to look at. Uh, one is that the Proverbs are valuable because they help us interpret our present. They help us understand the world around us. And secondly, Proverbs help us uh, craft a vision for the future. They help us see what we're looking at in the long term. And then most importantly, Proverbs help us connect with God. The Proverbs are not just wisdom for this moment, but they help us on the vertical level connect with God himself. So that's what we're going to go in the next uh, few minutes together. So Proverbs 17, and we're going to jump back and forth between different verses in Proverbs. Um, and at the end of this, if you feel like I missed a lot of verses, just email me and I'll send you the full copy of the sermon notes that have, have all the verses written down as well. So Let's get in the first section. How does Proverbs help us interpret our present? Well, it describes what a good life looks like. As you meditate on the Proverbs, as you read them and reread them, memorize them, think about them, they help you develop your capacity for living wisely in the world. The goal of the Proverbs, according to Proverbs 1, is to help you grow in wisdom. Wisdom is the Hebrew word chokhmah, and it originally meant skill, like carpentry. And the author of Proverbs is saying Cultivating wisdom, becoming a wise person, requires the same sort of intention, thought, and care as developing any other skill that really matters. And a lot of you guys are skilled at a lot of things. You're skilled at coding a computer, at knitting, at speaking in various languages, um, and you've devoted a lot of effort and energy into cultivating those skills. And Solomon says that uh, the proverb, through the Proverbs, we can cultivate the skill of living well. 
And you guys probably can all think of people for whom life seems to go well and life that seems to go poorly. And what the author of Proverbs says is, while there's more to life going well or poorly than just what we can control, the part that we can control is a skill that we need to cultivate, the skill of living well in the world. And he describes it in so many different ways, in so many different aphorisms and short, memorable quotes throughout Proverbs. And these quotes sometimes take on, in just a few words, a whole uh, undergirding anthropology and psychology of what life is really like. Here's what I mean. This is Proverbs 17:6. Children's children are a crown to the aged, and parents are the pride of their children. Why is it helpful to read a short, pithy statement like that? Children's children are a crown to the aged, and parents are the pride of their children. You know, we could write a, a really long sociology book with some sort of opaque title like uh, The Role of Parental Success and Failure in Childhood Self-Identification, right? And we could write 300 pages of peer-reviewed literature on why what your parents are like has a profound impact on how you see yourself. Or we could make a movie like that. I mean, there are tons of movies like that. Uh, chasing parental approval as the guiding force of the movie. Or we could write a lot of songs about that or create other art about trying to gain our parents' approval and being embarrassed by some of our parents' actions. And all those things would be good. Like sociology is good, movies are good, art is good. That, that's wonderful. But in this short phrase, Proverbs gets to the heart of it, right? that parents are the pride of their children. And those of you guys who are parents need that reminder, and I need that reminder too when we're acting foolishly in public and we're acting foolishly in ways that shame our kids that our parents are the pride of their children. And children's children, our, our grand, those of you who are grandkids, those, those of us who are grandparents, are crowned to the aged, right? It's helpful to read simple statements like this because they remind us of what is most important and most true in the world. And they're remarkably future-proof. You know, we, we read these statements that were written 3,000 years ago in another culture, in another language, and they speak to the reality of our soul in ways that, this happened in this service. This happened in all three services this morning. People, during the public reading of Scripture, went, mmm, yeah, mmm. Like, it just, it enunciates a part of us and brings to the surface in a really amazing way. Here's another example. This is Proverbs 17, 17. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Think about how you would apply that differently over the course of your life. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Think about like when you're eight years old or nine years old and you're maybe having an adversarial relationship with one of your siblings and uh, you're, you're reminded as you read God's Word or you hear it taught in Sunday school or something like that, um, a, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity, right? Like my sibling is going to be there my entire life, right? This is someone that no matter what ups or downs I go through at school, who wants to be my friend or who doesn't, my siblings are going to be there with me throughout, and then fast forward, you know, you're, now you're 10 years later, 15 years later, 20 years later, you're in your 20s, which can sometimes be a very lonely time, and you're wondering, do I really want to invest in community? Do I want to do the hard work of creating friendships that really matter, right? A friend loves at all times, right? So instead of making self-centered decisions, I want to make friendship-oriented decisions where I can develop a meaningful community. I want to stay connected to my siblings now when I don't have to. I want to be their friend. A brother is born for adversity. I want to invest in a friendship and a relationship with my siblings. 
Now spin it forward another 20 years or so. And now you have maybe your own kids. Maybe you have a family of your own. And you're wondering, how do I develop a community in my home? And this proverb comes to mind again. A friend loves at all times. Right? How, how do I create friendships when so much of my world seems to be governed by, by my kids? A brother is born for adversity. How do I cultivate a relationship with my siblings now as we care maybe for our parents who are becoming elderly? Now, move forward again. Now you're in your 50s and 60s. And the same proverb that's been with you since you're eight years old is popping up again. A friend loves at all times. So now my friend who has breast cancer, I, I say, you know, it's worth the sacrifice to drive you to your doctor's appointments. A brother is born for adversity. And so now even though your brother has gone through a difficult season, you want to be there for him and be there through the difficulties as he becomes, um, as maybe he has health needs of his own. And you spit it forward, and you read the same proverb again in your 80s and 90s, and now you're the one who needs to be cared for, perhaps. A friend loves at all times, and you allow community to form around you and to serve you. The reason I point this out is to say these proverbs, as they internalize us, walk with us through life. They carry with us through life. And what seems simple when we're eight seems more complex when we're 28 and more complex when we're 48 and 68. And we continue to see the beauty of God's word walk with us at all times. Reading these Proverbs helps prepare you for what's to come. Because neither you or I knows what 48, 68, 88, 108 are going to look like. We don't know the challenges that are coming in front of us. So if we read the Proverbs and we say, don't need to worry about that, we're the fool, right? Because who knows what adversity is in front of us that we're not expecting? Who knows what challenges God's word can prepare us for? Now, I don't want you to be deceived by their brevity, right? Some of them are simple in the sense that they're short, but they're remarkably complex when we think about what they say about human nature. Take, for example, verse 9. It says, Whoever would foster love covers over an offense, but whoever repeats the matter separates close friends. So does that mean that I'm supposed to shovel everything under the rug? Does that mean I'm supposed to cover up for someone who's done something wrong, even if it's criminal? Is this a biblical admonition to be an accessory after the fact to murder? Right? Um, I don't know. Does it? Right? Whoever would foster love covers an offense? Is it meant that I'm supposed to apologize for people who make stupid jokes and, and try to cover up what they've done wrong? Shouldn't people's justice come on their own head? After all, Proverbs 12 says, whoever speaks the truth gives honest evidence, but false witness utters deceit. How do I know whether at a Thanksgiving dinner, when a family member of mine says something insensitive and hurtful, I should try to cover up for him? And when do I know when to say, that's, stop that, don't say that? Right? That is a challenge of wisdom. And we see that over and over again as we read the Proverbs. How do we handle Proverbs that seem to contradict each other? Right? The Proverbs continually say that hard work yields success. And yet Proverbs 17.5 says, Whoever mocks the poor shows contempt for their maker. Whoever gloats over disaster will not go unpunished. We hold these truths throughout Proverbs in an important tension. And we would be naive to say, well, they just contradict each other. No, no, no. They're both true. My favorite example of contradiction in Proverbs is Proverbs 26.4 and 5. Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. I know I read that kind of quickly, but did you hear what it said? Answer not a fool. Answer a fool. So which one is it? Like, when do I respond to a fool and say, stop that, you're, you're making a fool of yourself, and when do I 
let it go so I don't get in an argument with someone that will go nowhere? When do I make a response to a Facebook post, and when do I let it go and just mute them for 30 days? No? Okay. Thanks. No, I appreciate you guys laughing. No one else laughed. Now, how do I handle contradictions? The way, this is the path of wisdom. These, I, I wouldn't call them contradictions, but I'd call them contractions because they, they hold two sides apart from each other, and they create a tightrope that we can walk across of wisdom. As these contrasting visions of the wise life are held on one side and on the other, we begin to see a path of what it means to live together with God wisely in our world. Of course, the problem with most Proverbs isn't that they're too complex to understand, they're just complex to do. Uh, look at Proverbs 17:27. Whoever restrains his words has knowledge, and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. What does this proverb mean? Well, it's pretty easy. Control your tongue. Don't say stupid things. But it's not so straightforward to do, right? All of us know that we shouldn't, uh, we shouldn't say things that are embarrassing or hurtful to others, and yet we do. We do all the time. In fact, those of us who speak in public 30 hours a week often say things that we wish we would take back, like the joke earlier about Facebook. (laughs) When we come to these Proverbs, when we come to all the Proverbs, we need to do so with a healthy dose of self-awareness and of humility, none of us knowing that none of us are as wise as we would want to be or could be. Beware of the assumption that we're wise just because we read these things that we want to be like them. You know, we read the Proverbs and we nod our head and say, yep, that is good. Well, it is good, but it doesn't mean that our lives are like that. And especially beware of the temptation that comes with cultural identifications of success. Because we sometimes mistake thinking, because we've done well financially, because we're of a certain age, because we're of a certain cultural group, that therefore we're inherently wise or wiser than our neighbor. Oh, that's not the biblical model at all. In fact, the, the case for wisdom in the Proverbs is not outward signs of success, but a humility and a willingness to listen to the correction of others. Over and over in the Proverbs, the wise man is the one who's willing to be uh, corrected. Look at uh, Proverbs 9.8. Do not reprove a scoffer, or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. I wonder what it's like to be on the other side of me. Like, I, I've never been married to me. I've never been pastored by me. I've never been parented by me. In fact, I, I don't know what it's like to experience me, right? And the same thing for you, right? You don't know what it's like to be on the other side of you. The only way you can find out what it's like to be your student or be your teacher or be your friend or be your boyfriend or whatever is to check it out with the other person. What's it like to be on the other side of me? What's it like to receive correction? What's it, and how do you respond when you get feedback? Are you someone who is willing to handle a rebuke? Or are you someone who has to be beaten into submission? This is what Proverbs 17.10 says, A rebuke impresses a discerning person. More than a hundred lashes impresses a fool. Or similarly in Proverbs 12.15, The way of the fool is right in his own eyes. I love that proverb. But a wise man listens to advice. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes. If you are always right and everyone else is always wrong, You either have the dumbest friends in the world or you are the biblical definition of a fool. You know, in the Bible, the wise man is not the person with the IQ of 120. The wise man or the wise woman is the one who has the capacity and willingness to listen to when they're wrong. The wise man is not the great speaker, but the great listener. 
The, the wise woman is not who can say the right thing, but who can hear the right thing from others and put it into action. When's the last time you listened to correction and did something differently as a result? The answer to that will tell you whether you're wise or a fool. But if you're a fool, you're probably not listening to what I'm saying anyway. Well, see, we, we all have blind spots. We all need that sort of feedback from others. That's why life groups are so important. That's why I encourage you to join a group because we all need to hear the feedback from people who love us and who know us well. Proverbs shows us this need of our souls, that the truth that we are not as wise as we wish we could be or wish we should be or know that we need to be. And yet so often we just say, that's too much work. Like, I, I don't know if I really want to do that. Is it really worth the effort to develop the skill of living well? That's the second part of, of Proverbs, why reading Proverbs is so valuable. Because it gives us a picture of what a future life of wisdom looks like and what a future life of foolishness looks like. If we continue down this path for the next 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, this is what happens to the fool, and this is what happens to the wise man. As we internalize Proverbs, as we read them, we begin to see a picture of where our life is heading. Proverbs gives us a long-term perspective on wisdom. Reading the Proverbs helps us internalize this godly vision of life. The reason I really want you to read the Proverbs, one of the reasons, is because I want you to get out of the tyranny of this week, the tyranny of the contemporary moment, and to look at where your life is heading over the long term. Verse 1 gives an example of this. Better a dry crust with peace and quiet than a house full of feasting with strife. Better to be someone who doesn't seem to have it all together and to be at peace with those close to you, than to try to impress people and yet be at war at home. Better to be someone who is on the bus with money that you have than driving a car that is about to be repoed that you can't afford. Better to be going to community college for two years than to be undeclared at a liberal arts school with $120,000 of loans. Better to be um, someone who is in a studio apartment than to live in a house that's beyond your means. Proverbs helps us to develop wisdom about how to make decisions that not just matter or feel good now, but are going to chart us on a trajectory of a wise life for years to come. That's one of the things that Ilya said about financial peace that I thought was really insightful and really, really wise, was, you know, depending on when we start making better decisions with our money, that's going to take a while to come to fruition. And if we postpone that or avoid that or just put our fingers in our ears about debt, we're never going to get to a place of peace. Proverbs helps us look at the long-term consequences of what we've done. Now, it's not that Proverbs is just about helping you get out of debt and stop smoking and eating more kale and wearing sunscreen and all those sorts of things. Like, you know, there's, there's human positive value uh, to a lot of the advice in Proverbs. But it's about more than that, right? Proverbs is also about helping us see a vision of life with God. It helps us, it's different than feedback we get just from the world. You know, the world's feedback is about us operating just on the horizontal plane in our life and life around us. And that's valuable, right? It's, there can be really helpful secular books on how to have a healthy marriage, how to raise healthy kids, uh, how to, you know, I guess I'm going back to the sunscreen because red hair. Um, but Proverbs helps us see that who we are matters not just for our happiness, but it matters to God. You know, Proverbs 17.3 says, The crucible for silver, the furnace for gold, but the Lord tests the heart. You know, if we reject the wisdom of Proverbs or we neglect it, which are basically the same thing, we're going to still listen to other voices, right? But we won't listen to the, what God desires for us for a wise life. 
Alan Jacobs, who's a distinguished professor of humanities at Baylor University, wrote a short book called How to Think. That's a really helpful book. And he's, he makes in there the case that, you know, often we tell people, we tell students, he, he works in a college setting, think for yourself. That's the advice we give. Think for yourself. And he says, you know, the reality is no one can think for themselves. That's not really a category. What, what he says is, my professor friends, when they say that, really mean stop thinking like the peer group you came from or your family of origin or these forces that I don't like. <laughs> really what they mean is think like me because it's impossible to think by yourself. We all think in community. And Jacobs in his book outlines the case for, uh, based on social science why all of our thinking happens together with others. We all think in peer groups and in echo chambers of the people around us. And so the question isn't, how am I going to think for myself, but rather, who am I going to think with? Am I going to think with God about wisdom, or am I going to think with the world around me? Proverbs 17.4 puts it this way, A wicked person listens to deceitful lips. A liar pays attention to a destructive tongue. Who are you paying attention to? Now, I hope you're not a wicked person, but you're all listening to someone. Think about all the proverbs that you hear every day in our culture all the messages that try to push you into the mold of this world. Um, I, I googled some of my favorite modern proverbs. Um, there's some you're probably familiar with, like you only live once, or everything in moderation, or try everything once. There's a lot of admonitions in our culture to make sure you don't miss out on something. Um, there's admonitions to make sure that you are at the front, right? If you aren't the lead dog, the scenery never changes. Right? There's a lot of admonitions to, to be in front, be the person... Uh, who's looking, no one looks out for you but yourself. Uh, look out for number one. And then my favorite proverb, I don't really know what it means, but I just think it's funny. Some days you're the pigeon and some days you're the statue. Um. <laughs> now, you know, is, is there some truth in all of these? Sure, right? Like, all, all those proverbs have, have some elements that are helpful for us and some that aren't. But all of us, all those proverbs from our culture and as Americans, we really thrive on modern Proverbs. In fact, one of the most important books in early American life was Poor Richard's Almanac, which was filled with modern Proverbs. Things like, uh, early to bed, early to rise makes one healthy, wealthy, and wise. Or, the early bird gets the worm. Or all these other admonitions to hard work that, that have shaped us as Americans. Um, and we're all being pressed by the pattern of this world. Paul says this in Romans 12 too. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Right? As we turn to Proverbs, our minds are renewed, knowing that we don't want to be pressed into just the pattern of this world, but we want to sift the wisdom of the world through God's word. And the Proverbs help us to do that. They help us to think wisely with God. And, and I really want to underline that with God part in this last part of the sermon, because a lot of times we think of the Proverbs just as helpful wisdom for today, and they are that, but there's so much more. They're also helping us to walk with God. It's, a, it's part of that with God life. Proverbs help us to know Jesus. You know, one of the defining characteristics of Jesus as a young man, as a young boy, was he was wise, right? Luke 2 says that he grew up in wisdom and knowledge of, and the knowledge of men. In fact, when he went to the temple when he was 12 years old, he impressed them with his wisdom. He was known as a wise child. And he became known as a, a wise man who taught parables, mostly. But parables were another Greek way of saying proverbs. The Hebrew word masal is translated into Greek often as parabole, the same word we use for parable. When Jesus was teaching parables, he was teaching them how to be wise. And he wants us to live with wisdom towards God 
and towards our neighbor. In fact, when he says that, Jesus says that his yoke is easy and his burden is light, he's describing a wise life. When he says that he's come that we might have life and life to the full, he's describing a life that is wisely lived. And so as we read the Gospels, as we read what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, we're really seeing what it means to live a wise life before him. And as we read the Proverbs and we see how far short we fall of that, we're reminded that all of us need a Savior. You know, we read these descriptions of wisdom and we think, I'd like to be like that. But we also know we're not, right? We know that we say the foolish thing, not just out of ignorance, but out of disrespect towards God and dislove for our neighbor. And we see this gap as we read the Proverbs that grows and grows the more we became aware of how foolish we are and how holy God is. We become acutely aware of our need for a Savior. Proverbs 20, uh, 20 verse 9 puts it this way. Who can say, I have made my heart pure? I am clean from my sin. Who can say that? Who can read Proverbs and think, I've got all this life stuff figured out? No, as John Calvin said at the beginning of his Institutes of the Christian Religion, he says, nearly all wisdom we possess, that is to say true and sound wisdom, consists of two parts, the knowledge of God and the knowledge of ourselves. All wisdom, according to Calvin, boils down to knowledge of God and knowledge of ourselves. And what he means by that isn't that it's not, of course it's valuable to study sociology and botany and all kinds of other fields of study. But what, what Calvin means is, at the core, when we realize how holy God is and how far we fall short of that, we become so aware of our need for a Savior. The Proverbs, like all of the Old Testament, points us to our need for Jesus to come and save us from our sins. But the Proverbs are even more helpful than that in our spiritual life because the Proverbs help us to see our need for wisdom in a person. You know, the Proverbs cultivate wisdom in us, not so we'll be independent of God, but so that we'll see and awaken a desire to walk with one who is truly wise. In Proverbs chapter 9, it describes this as lady wisdom. And it, all of chapter 9 is about um, how we should seek after to know lady wisdom. And it's a metaphor, it's a literary device, but it talks about inviting in lady wisdom, have a relationship with lady wisdom, know lady wisdom, follow lady wisdom. To use Christian parlance, we might say, invite lady wisdom into your heart. And until we get to the New Testament, we think that's just a metaphor. Who could really be the personification of all wisdom? What kind of person could bear that? What kind of person could encapsulate in themselves all the wisdom of the universe, all the wisdom of God? Who's the sort of person that you could follow as a disciple of and trust that they are good and they are leading you in the right path? Who's the sort of person that you could invite into your heart in that way? At the end of the Old Testament, at the end of Proverbs, we think it's just a metaphor, and then we come to Jesus, right? Jesus, the fulfillment of the Proverbs, the fulfillment of Lady Wisdom. As Colossians 2 says, the one in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. The purpose of Proverbs, the purpose of Proverbs 9 and Lady Wisdom, the purpose of the whole Old Testament really is to point us to this person. And Jesus brings wisdom to us. As it says in 1 Corinthians 1.30, and I love this verse, I encourage you to read this on your own later. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. Do you hear that? Jesus has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. The wisdom Jesus brings us, the wisdom that we need the most, is not just how to get out of debt, though that's great. It's not just how to have a healthy marriage or to live a, a, a neighbor-loving life. 
in this world. It's to see our need for our Savior, to see that we need righteousness, holiness, and we receive redemption through him. All right, what do I want from you as we close this? I want you to read the Proverbs. I think it'll give you a vision of a good life. I think otherwise, if you skip them, if you neglect them, if you neglect godly wisdom, you'll end up getting pressed into the mold of this world. I want you to read the Proverbs because I think it'll give you a picture of a long-term perspective. It'll help you see where you could go with God and where you want to avoid going out of foolishness. Otherwise, you'll live in the tyranny of the moment, making choices that seem good today and will cost you tomorrow. And mostly, I want you to read the Proverbs because it points you to Jesus. Because otherwise, you're going to bear the weight of your own foolishness on your own shoulders. And you'll hide, and you'll pretend, and you'll act like you have it all together. But if you read the Proverbs, it'll point you to the better lady wisdom, the one you can follow trustworthily with your whole life, the true lady wisdom that you can invite into your heart, that you can follow both for forgiveness of sins and as a disciple in a godly life forever. Well, a couple questions to reflect on and to pray about this week. How wise of a life am I living? Like, you might just talk to God about that. Like, God, would you strip away my assumptions? Like, would you strip away the assumption that I'm doing well, that I'm doing poorly? Would you just show me the truth? Like, Proverbs 17.3 says you test the heart. So, God, would you test my heart and just show me, am I living a wise life? Or am I repeating foolish behaviors in a way that's offensive to you and hurtful to me? And secondly, you might ask this question in particular. You know, if wisdom is defined by someone who's willing to receive feedback, how well, God, do I do to listen to corrections, rebukes, and the feedback of those who love me? Like, am I, am I someone who's easy to be corrected? Or am I someone who always has an excuse, always tries to hide, always tries to pretend, who can never be told they're wrong? God, am I, am I displaying wisdom in how I listen to the people around me? Now, let's close our time in prayer. Jesus, thank you that you are the wise one and that you give us a vision for what a wise life would look like. God, I pray for my friends here um, who are in need of wisdom, as we all are at every day. God, would you give us a picture of what it means to live a godly life before you through these Proverbs. God, I confess that I so often live foolishly. I just sort of swing back and forth from haphazard behavior to haphazard behavior, choosing whatever looks good in the moment rather than what's wise or what's godly. Thank you that you have forgiven us in Christ. and God, would you give us a spirit of your wisdom? Help us to live well as a disciple of Jesus so that people would see wisdom in our life and see it pointing to you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, let's take these last couple of moments to, to bring our situations to God in prayer. Maybe there's a, a situation or a circumstance that is going on right in your own life, right now in this moment, that you could invite the wisdom of God into in maybe a deeper way than you have before. Let's take a moment just to consider what that situation might be and let's bring it to God in these last few moments. Let's practice what we've heard this morning. Ask God to be our wisdom, to be our vision, to guide us, lead us.
pray with you if there's something going on in your life that you want to lift up to God. Also, if you're uh, new here and you're coming to the Newcomer Lunch, we'd love to have you. Uh, just go out the lobby and then up the stairs. The library's right up there. If you'd like to go to the Women's Lunch, that's next door in the chapel over there. Um, if you'd like to go to both of them, good luck. Uh, <laughs> our benediction today is from Second Peter. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord this week. Amen. Good and your mercy endureth forever. Good and your mercy endureth forever. Revelation and tongue from Genesis.